0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aaron Rodgers looking for Devante Adams. who has got it! DJ Moore has a pass to...
1: Hello, everyone, welcome back to Road of Biz Overtime on Road of Biz Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And as always, I'm joined by Sean Siegel as we get ready to have another fun conversation. It feels like it's too early, but as we said, Sean, on the the shows, if anyone's heard us doing our draft with Zach Kruger, it's never too early as the FFPC draft board goes. And if you're looking around uh, kind of social media, you'll see all, you know, Underdog, all the other companies having their best ball drafts going on at the moment so uh, it's a lot of fun diving in it is never too early that is the the true facts of the matter we are going to talk through round one through five see how things have played out some of the players maybe been overvalued or undervalued in those ranges i'm really looking forward to doing that on today's show draft sean was a lot of fun i guess the the key start point on it is was a 2 a.m start for myself dived in nice and early and i have to say it was a lot of fun but after it finished up, I was you know, talking to Zach and uh, DMing Zach back and forth, and I was I messaged and I said, I just have too much adrenaline now, I can't get back to sleep. So it's like 4.30 in the morning, all I can think about is, is best ball picks and, and how things are going. So a lot of fun drafting with you and Zach. If anyone hasn't already checked it out, we are posting the draft. It is split into three parts for the draft and then a, a quick recap with myself. Sean and Zach but it is also up on our Road of His Overtime feed you might have heard it there it's also up on its own individual feed the Road of His Best Ball podcast feed make sure you head on over and subscribe to that brand new feed there'll be lots of great best ball content coming your way up there over the coming weeks and months but Sean today we're going to dive into that draft we're going to talk through it uh, I'm really excited to see it, it was a real fun draft and uh, you know We'll, we'll see maybe maybe in the cold later day, a couple of days after it, when the adrenaline has wore off and the, the sleepiness has worn off. Maybe I'll look at it differently, but looking forward to breaking this down with you today.
2: Yeah, you did a fantastic job for waking up in the middle of the night to do this draft. We really appreciate that. And Zach was a lot of fun to have on the show and to have as a draft partner. Uh, he, he was fantastic as well. You and Zach put together a great best ball series. Last year, we now have the best ball channel on Rotoviz Radio. So we're going to have uh, just consistent best ball content throughout the year on that. So as you're trying to polish your game, uh, look for draft strategy, figure out the specific tactics in individual rounds and individual positions, and then the players that you want to target. We all, I think, enjoy that in many ways the most. Who, you know, which players will fit with the right tactics to give you that super squad. So we're still early on in it. And One of the things that is a lot of fun right now is that, I mean, obviously, you know, the stars are going early. You have the specific draft ranges that most of these players are going in. But ADP is not nearly as locked in as it gets later. We may even have some moves over this next week as the NFL Combine transpires. And this is just a fun time of the year to draft because you know you can get some guys all over the place. And we took advantage of that a little bit and then you also see uh, especially for teams in the middle now Colin you and I had the 102 obviously that's a great pick to have we selected Cooper Cup but especially early there are some advantages to be in the middle we know that traditionally the middle of these drafts have had good win rates part of that is just that the running backs in the middle of that first round have been luckier injury wise than the actual stars in the top couple of positions But, but there's a lot of fun things going on you know, in rounds three four five in the middle of those drafts and so it, it's a lot of fun to kind of look through and find out where players are going so we're going to do a little bit of that today marry some player talk with some draft tactics and and look at this draft see what maybe we could have done from some other positions that's always something that i think it benefits you to do especially early when you're trying to get your big picture strategy in line is not just to look at the team that you did draft but to kind of play it out from some of the other slots see what you could have done because you don't know what slot you're going to get next and if you play a fairly high volume obviously you're going to be playing from different areas of the draft column what was the first thing that jumped out to you uh, after the fact that jonathan taylor went 103 so somebody was probably very happy there but then the first couple of rounds more or less to script
1: I think what really stood out was the part that you mentioned like we, we had the 102 it was kind of we were like Taylor or McCaffrey is going to get to this. do we go there do we go Cooper Cup and we went for cup interest you know that then Jonathan Taylor gets to spot three and whoever is there is probably really you know ecstatic with that but I still think looking back we've said in that draft that we would kind of split up our shares we'd go Jonathan Taylor and some Christian McCaffrey and some Cooper Cup and some we also joked that getting the 102 isn't something that happens all the time. And, you know, we might be stuck at the back half of the the draft board for the the next couple of drafts, and we mightn't get that opportunity for quite some time again. So Taylor going 103, but, again, it's not that big of a surprise based on the fact that it was down to us that 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 did occur. I think, as you mentioned, the rest of the draft board then through the first round, went pretty much according to plan i think the players going in those slots are all pretty fair but there is a couple of players and maybe some bias playing into that as to i wouldn't be taking them at the current spots they're going at i don't know if you agree and i know people long-time listeners of the show might think that we're the most anti derrick henry people going but derrick henry was playing at an mvp level when he got injured last year but Player who has a lot of tread on his tires. We've seen, you know, running back production drop off as players get older. He now had that surgery during this season, came back for the playoffs. The other player that's going in the first round that I would have question marks over, although we do think it's going to be a very explosive offense, is Joe Mixon, and then another target that went off the board at the the ninth spot for people taking running backs in that opening round is looking like Najee Harris. Obviously, the situation there with Ben Roethlisberger retiring. You know Ben Roethlisberger wasn't good last year, so maybe him retiring actually helps Harris in that situation. Looking through how that first round plays out, it's Christian McCaffrey, Cooper Cup, Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler, Jamar Chase. I think that's the the top five. I think then I think I'll be looking to Justin Jefferson at that point. But Derek Henry goes off at six. Then Justin Jefferson, Travis Kelsey. Remember this is tight end premium. He goes off at the eighth spot. Then Harris, Tyreek Hill, Joe Mixon, and Devontae Adams the players that I think in that first round that I think Derrick Henry is a first round pick, but I think it should be later in the first round, but how do you feel about Harris and Mixon going in that range? You know, then obviously we're looking at the likes of um, Stefan Diggs and AJ, Brown, Debo Samuel as wide receiver options at that point. And we have uh, cam makers and Deandre Swift as, as, running back options. Is there any players there that you'd be swapping out for uh, Harris or Mixon? The other player that drops off there is also Delvin Cook at the, Into the 206.
2: Yeah, I was looking at this pretty closely as I was putting together my running back tiers, which will be up on the site shortly. And one of the things that you notice with someone like a Joe Mixon is that his expected points are in that 16 and a half range. It's yeah, really more of a third or fourth round kind of value from the perspective of, you know, what's the volume there? And then you kind of combine that with talent now ben and i've talked a lot and you and i've talked a lot as well about talent being a very important thing as we make these draft selections i think that mixon now gets a bump because he's in such a good offense but one of the things that we do see is that when he went on that run where he was averaging almost 28 points a game for four weeks he had the third easiest running back schedule during that stretch he then came off of it and had a three-week stretch under 10 points per game where he had the third hardest running back schedule Is it possible that Mixon combines, you know, this 16-ish expected point number with, say, four or five fantasy points over expectation? I mean, when you're looking at Joe Mixon, he's going to really have to outperform his volume to be a first-round caliber selection, so I probably wouldn't have gone that way, but I can understand why drafters would like Mixon this upcoming year, given that the Bengals do look like a team that's going to score a lot of touchdowns. So you have the potential for this 20 touchdown season. You have a high floor. Those things are going to appeal, especially right now when we're in a time period that where there's a lot of uncertainty, right? You had mentioned Derek Henry. I think that Austin Eckler is the other back that probably is still more of a late first or early second round pick. He's had a couple of different seasons now where he's been in that you know four fantasy points over expectation range. And because of his talent level, it's easier to see him doing that again. And like the Bengals, the Chargers are going to be very explosive. But really, any incursion into his workload, and you're talking about someone who, even as a star, is going to have a little bit of a hard time maintaining that. And so I would really like the wide receivers in that group. I think that the clear first round picks are McCaffrey, Taylor, and then those receivers. And I think the next couple of picks, the guys who went in the second round, who are, are still borderline first round picks. We mark Andrews, who went at the 205, and then Debo Samuel, who went at the 209. Uh, Samuel coming within two picks of getting back to us at the 211. Obviously, that would have been the dream scenario. The other thing I think it's interesting here, Column, that we see Harris and Javante Williams go back to back the 109 and the 204. Uh, Harris, somebody, and Neil wrote a nice article about this on the site we have the rookie similarity series looking at these rookies and then using the similarity search feature from the road of his screener to kind of give you a sense of what the historical matches are how those matches did in year two now again I, you don't want to go off of that and say okay well he's got this match that i think is the closest match and so he's going to have that type of second season it's just something that you want to keep in consideration one of the different points that you look at When you're looking at what these guys could do one of the things that's pretty funny about harris is that you have Ladanian tomlinson and Le'Veon bell and trent richardson as fairly close comps obviously two of those and you're like you know give me harris for the next five to ten years uh the other one you know you're running for the hill screaming richardson probably the absolute closest comp to harris and yet i think that the most likely thing is simply that he goes in between those types of players right and he's just a solid player in the future, one of the other comps that we get for him is a Leonard Fournette. I think that one's probably closer in that Fournette also has that hybrid ability, probably not as much receiving ability as Harris has, even though obviously Tom Brady peppered him with a ton of targets last season. Uh, but you know, overall, Fournette actually a, a better big play runner. So similar types of guys. If Harris is in an offense that allows him to be solid, then I think he'll number one have a high floor. And then if the continue on with that workload i mean he's a guy where if they do bring any type of balance in or someone who can just take some touches i mean their backups weren't at the level they could really afford to ever have him on the field last year especially because they weren't dominating a lot of games but we see that workload drop a little bit which is very realistic in a lot of scenarios and then you know people are again looking at harris as more of a late second round pick but the thing i wanted to point out there that was really interesting is that is a running back running back start but only two running backs selected in the first 10 rounds. Colin, that's something that I tend to look at. You know, get all of this talk about zero running back and modified zero running back. And one of the things that I'm really looking to see is just how much running back exposure individual drafters have in these high value rounds in the single digit rounds. And when a team starts like that, and especially I think when you've got two second year players Harris, I mean, you say, well, Harris is already there. He's already had this very good fantasy season, but he's already there with the potential, I think, that if he could address some of the efficiency things. Now, these efficiency elements of not having the breakaway runs and doing a lot of, you know, stutter step, but not actually running forward, breaking tackles, but not actually running forward. I mean, these things go back to college. So it's not necessarily something where we're thinking, okay, well, it's a, an adjustment to the NFL type of situation although he did have that huge game late and again you look at that game and you think to yourself okay well a little more of that next season and all of a sudden he's the running back one and we've seen some drafts where he as early as the 102 right and so there is this potential to ascend Javante Williams obviously the potential to ascend those guys could be the 101 102 next season you take them to start and then don't select another running back until you get much much later in the draft that's an interesting way to play it
1: yeah, I think so. And I think that, like, if you're going to go that way, I think either get the guy in round one and then you you move forward or you get two guys back to back and then you hold off, as you mentioned, to the 11th round. And, you know, you look at some of the players that team has built up in between, I think the structure overall is, is very good. Um I, I know it probably happened at some stage and probably when the listeners put a little bit of pressure on us in those listener leagues. that's when we tend to dive into those running backs early in the draft, but um, good good start overall. It's interesting though, Sean, to go through, you mentioned Austin Eckler then as a possible back of the first round, uh, early second round pick, I've said Henry's probably a back of the first round pick, Harris and Joe Mixon as well, so that's leading to the wide receivers then and that first round being a lot of value, the likes of justin jefferson a little bit um even it's only a couple of spots later but then you have tyreek hill and Devontae adams going at the 112 i think that really gives a lot of um you know Benefits to people then drafting Stefan Diggs, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, who you mentioned. Uh, in our draft, it was a case that Samuel, as you mentioned, went two picks before us, A.J. Brown went three picks before us. We did get C.D. Lamb, uh, who was the next player in that range we were looking at. But when we looked down at the second round, Sean, so we're looking at DeAndre Swift, then Cam Akers, then Diggs, then Javante Williams, who you've mentioned. You've mentioned Mark Andrews as a possible end uh, tight end premium, uh, late kind of first round pick, then Dalvin Cook. Kyle Petz, AJ Bryan, Debo Samuel, Nick
3: Chubb, CD Lamb, and then Darn Waller with the last pick of the second round. Hey, RotoViz fans, this is Dave Cabin from the RotoViz Fantasy Football Podcast, taking a minute to let you know that as a loyal RotoViz listener, you can get 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RVRadio2022 at checkout. It gives you full access to all of our content and tools. And again, That's RV Radio 2022 at checkout for 10% off a one-year rotovia subscription. Enjoy the podcast.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: me based on what i'm saying what you're saying is pretty much all the way down there to debo samuel we should be pushing up five or six spots so anyone who is going zero rb or potentially uh, modified zero rb in those drafts is, is getting an incredible value for the for case in point in this one uh the guy draft out of the 10 slot has started with tyree kill and Stefan Diggs. so there is quite amazing starts to be had team five has gone jamar chase and aj brown so wide receiver and those opening two rounds particularly the first kind of 1.5 rounds feel to me like they're a couple of spots below where they should be
2: they do and one of the things that we discussed on the draft show and how it influenced how we wanted to run our draft in the first five to six rounds is this element where wide receiver drops off so quickly and even to where we took a wide receiver at the 211 and that really came back to haunt us because both of the tight ends that we wanted went at the 212 and the 301 and then we take jalen waddle at the 302 metcalf someone who is kind of interesting goes to the 305 higgins at the 308 i think that after waddle you have a potential tier break but definitely after metcalf and higgins you have this tier break a couple of interesting guys go then toward the end of that round, or, or a trio, of Allen, Deontay Johnson, DJ Moore, depending on how the offenses work out, the quarterback situations work out for Johnson and Moore. Maybe you can put them in that group. But then we slide back around into round four, and you've got Darnell Mooney, Elijah Moore, Mike Evans, uh, Terry McLaurin, Amari Cooper, and Calvin Ridley, then Chris Godwin at the 501. Now, in, in a vacuum, a lot of these are pretty good picks. And I'm not necessarily saying that any of the individual drafters who selected these guys were wrong. Right. But looking at them as a group, we're talking about DJ Moore having these great peripherals. But I mean, they've got work to do to make him somebody that is a legitimate fantasy wide receiver. I mean, him, you and I were in the best ball tournament the last week and we knew we couldn't rely on DJ Moore. And he's somebody who goes in the third round here and was not even really a viable starter at the end of last season. You have Darnell Mooney in the early fourth round, someone I really like, but uh, I mean, he, he's not going to be the wide receiver one for the Chicago Bears after the whole offseason is said and done, is he? I mean, maybe he is. I really like him. These guys who are a little bit more vertical threats, a little bit smaller, drafted late, you know, you don't see the teams build around them that often. I, it would be great for him if they did, but even if they do, I mean, they're going to add more weapons there. Elijah Moore, I think, is the pick that I really like, and yet, You know, you're talking about a guy who didn't stay healthy last season and has Zach Wilson as quarterback. And you're talking about him in the first half of the fourth round. Mike Evans, probably, uh, you know, an easy value right there. And Terry McLaurin, similar problems to DJ Moore, but is not as good as DJ Moore, right? And so you've got that element. Amari Cooper, you know, now we're into this Kind of mindset or this rhetoric, this debate about whether he'll even be on the Cowboys and he's got his owner saying he was pretty terrible at the end of last season. Calvin Ridley, Chris Godwin, the 412, the 501. These are simultaneously really interesting value picks and incredibly high-risk selections. We don't know that Ridley's going to play, and if he does, you know, will he be the same type of guy? Will he be into an offense where he can get the volume that he's had previously? Chris Godwin, one of our absolute favorites, but suffers an injury you know, late in the season. He's really only a couple weeks ahead of Michael Gallup, someone we took in the 13th round. Now, Chris Godwin is quite a bit better than Michael gallop and yet at the same time it's a lot to pay for people coming off of injuries where we don't really know how early and if at all they will be ready and so i think that you've got to get your wide receivers early if you can in any way shape or form because column the running back's going in this range and this is the dead zone and despite some of the talk about how people understanding the dead zone was going to push some interesting running backs down in 2021 that happened to an extent but then they got hurt. And so the dead zone, again, was very dead last year. I think there are some fun guys to draft in this range right now. And I think they're going to be a lot more expensive. Some of them are going to rise out of the dead zone. Who are some guys that you were looking at to potentially add in this range? And and how do they fit relative to the quarterbacks who are going very early? We have Josh Allen in the third round, Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes early in the fourth.
1: Yeah I think a couple of points you had on there that you've been kind of banging this drum for a couple of seasons now with the wide receiver isn't deep and wide receiver at the elite end is probably like there's a a good number of options but once you get through round three you mentioned round four it's kind of like the that's the group with all the question marks around them they're all pretty good if they were in the perfect scenario but like you mentioned Evans quarterback situation Elijah Moore who we absolutely love but I guess we could say quarterback situation again with the Jets, Terry McLaurin, quarterback situation, Amari Cooper, Dallas Cowboys situation, Calvin Ridley, the uh, mental health stuff, Chris Godwin, the injury. There's a lot of question marks in that range. So it feels like it, it, it does start to break off there. I think getting those guys in the first three rounds is key. It feels to me like at this point now, drafting from the like five through seven slot is probably the ideal place to get yourself. You know a really high profile trio of wide receivers to set up your draft but the the question then that you asked me is the running backs going in this range and you mentioned the the dead zone and running backs getting pushed down something that did stand out to me and now this is the first best ball draft um, that I've done in this tournament this year but the green that is in those rounds you know through three, uh kind of seven or eight and that's for listeners listening and the green uh, running backs on the draft board and um, being specifically green um, in terms of how it shows out in the visualization. I think it's a little bit more spread out. I think some of the guys that have been taken maybe aren't, they don't feel as dead as the, the dead zone guys. I, you know, there's not as many, if we look back to last year, Mike Davis style guys in there, but the guys that I do like in this range, we did get two of them in this draft. The other one that I really like is JK Dobbins. He's coming back off his injury, so there's question marks there, but you know, I, I do like Dobbins. I, I always thought he was a 2021 player. Unfortunately, the injury happened there. So hopefully he's a 2022 player. The guys we did get was Travis Etienne and Bryce Hall. Etienne obviously coming back off an injury as well. So I guess when we're in the question mark tier for wide receivers, we have Dobbins and Etienne coming back from their injuries. They can slot into that question mark tier. Uh, but Bryce Hall is obviously going into the NFL draft. We'll have the combine this week. We'll see what happens then. But, you know, uh, Zach mentioned on the draft show that he might get that Najee Harris treatment where you know, if he gets draft capital, we could see him jump a round or two. Then that makes him a, an absolute steal at that point at the the five oh two. So they're the guys I like. The other guys going in those ranges are Elliot, David Montgomery, Josh Jacobs, and Elijah Mitchell. Even in the, in the fifth round, compared to the first round last year, Sean Ezekiel Elliott feels like that might be a value. But if I look through all these running backs, In those rounds, he feels to me like the one that it feels like the last legs could really be with him at this point, and he could be the the real dead zone candidate this year heading into it. But Montgomery and Jacobs also have the same concerns that they've had for the last couple of years, where they might have those big games, but going through the season, they're they're not going to get the job done, I don't think. And then we do get into like you know round seven. I think that's where we might get caught. One of our favorite guys last year, which Rashad Penny and then Devil Singletary. I think they're potentially going to fall into more of a the dead zone area. But I think looking through that fifth round, I think the two guys we got along with JK Dobbins are my prime targets there. Um have you anyone else in that fifth round range at the running back position that is is picking up interest. The other thing I'll head on and I'll let you go with both of these questions after in terms of tight ends and this is tight end premium. Uh, you know we have Kelsey and Andrews and Pitts, Darnwaller and Kelsey or Kittle, sorry, all going before the 301. But then we get into the situation in the fifth round after Hawkinson goes in the fourth round where we have Dallas Goddard and then Dawson Knox. Both of those guys, particularly Knox, feels like um, that that's quite a bit earlier than I would be willing to risk um, for ha- for his production on that roster with the, the Buffalo Bills. Um, the fifth round seems a bit high, even in tight end premium.
2: Yeah, so when we look at these running backs to kind of start, I think that everything you said is right on there. And you mentioned Elliot kind of being into that time frame where he has the Todd Gurley, David Johnson, you know, collapse portion of his career. Or something that
1: you don't want on your roster.
2: Right. <laughs> right. And so the fifth round, it, it's kind of interesting because you do have this question of, well, now that the draft community is closer on his actual value is it a value? Because, you know, we were saying last year, I mean, he's a third round value who is being drafted in the top five, a pretty easy one to fade at that point. And yet, you know, he had this bad season. He was not healthy. The Cowboys go through some stretches where they don't rely on the run as much, but you can see with the way that the Cowboys are playing him. And that's that contract disconnect between Elliott and Pollard. I do think that Elliott in round five is a better pick than Pollard in round nine. And we've liked Pollard and it's a more interesting play, you know, when you have Elliott in round one and Pollard in rounds nine or 10, and that one also is fairly straightforward in terms of what you're looking at as the contingencies. It probably goes the other way this season. One of the things that I was looking at when I was putting the tiers together is just how risky I think Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara are now. Dalvin Cook goes at the 206, Alvin Kamara at the 306. So drafters really are heavily discounting them relative to where they were a season ago. But as they head into their age 27 seasons, they lost big numbers, you know, talking eight, seven points per game off of what they did a season previous and with cook obviously there are some injury issues but the thing that's sort of surprising when you go in there and look at it is he actually played the same snap percentage in the games where he was active than he had the previous season alvin kamara he sets that career high in rush attempts but a career low in rush touchdowns along with a career low in receptions which is the really key thing there from a fantasy football perspective and we know the offense now is not going to Necessarily get better, or maybe it gets better a little bit, but they're into the sort of crash and burn portion of their cycle with the coach leaving, not having a quarterback, all the salary cap issues that they're dealing with there. And so there might even be a lot of risk for Cook and Camaro where they're being drafted. You look at David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs, and those are players we've never been on. We pointed out that they have been overdrafted more or less all the way. They don't have the athletic profiles and the history you know even going back to college of being the types of explosive running backs who are going to give you that three four five fantasy point over expectation season which is really crucial to be drafted up where they were being drafted at times but now we're in a situation where if you go back and you look at their workload and you look at their expected points profile and they're right there with joe Mixon, who in this draft went at the tail end of the first round Right. Are they lesser talents than Joe Mixon? Probably not. They're they're all three very good players, not great players, you know, not players you can build your franchise around, but good players. And so the question then is, you know, is the Bengals offense that much better? It probably is. And yet at the same time, the Bears and the Raiders, you know, may need to use those running backs more, may need to focus on them. And so even though there are some demerits from an efficiency perspective, those guys start to look at really good values. They're, they're great values compared to, say, Nick Chubb, whose EP profile is much, much worse. Now, again, I don't have a huge problem with where those two players, you know, Chubb versus Montgomery, Chubb versus Jacobs, are going. Because, again, the talent level there for Chubb does give you... You know, the ability to dream on a season where maybe he's mostly the guy, they do incorporate him a little bit more as a receiver. He puts up five fantasy points over expectation on the year where he jumps to 18 EP. Suddenly you have a 23 point per game year and it's a a big win at his cost. But I mean, that's a very unlikely scenario too, right? And so when we're looking at who the kind of safe and quality plays are, you know, you're looking at a Montgomery, you're looking at a Jacobs as the prices have finally come in line with who those guys are. And then obviously you mentioned the fun ones. One of the things that was pretty frustrating in this draft for us. And again, you can't complain when you have the one two. It's just a matter that. It is still frustrating because you know, you want these great values to come to you. I mean, JK Dobbins and TJ Hawkinson to me are players that would have been legitimately well i actually argued for us to take hawkinson at the 302 and so you know that i would have loved him at the 411 that's a lot of players who are going in the interim jk dobbins somebody i think who probably is a better pick than antonio gibson maybe a better pick than saquon barkley those guys went to the 303 and the 304 so right after we picked waddle for them to come to the 409 and the 410 the two picks right before us I mean, that's hard, and I think that those are the two guys, though, that you really want in round four, and you can do a lot if you have a middle pick right now because round four can be so productive for you. Now, we got Travis Etienne a lot, you know, wider range of outcomes there, a lot of question marks. We don't really know how that's going to play out, but, you know. The disappointment when you get to pick a fun player like him you know, goes away in a hurry. Then we take Brees Hall. It's one of those things where Etienne and Hall, we select a little bit earlier than you can get them in a lot of drafts. Not every draft, but in a lot of drafts that go on right now. And at the same time, there's not really a scenario where we could have gotten a different pick in round four and then still gotten both of them. I mean, Hall is unlikely to get back to the six, eleven. So from that perspective, it works out. But that does take us into this question of, you know, what are we doing with these tight ends? And so we were in this position where we had a great shot at it. The teams that are really, I think, it's kind of hard to decide what you want to do. Maybe if you have one of those really late picks and you don't like Mark Andrews. But the thing that's nice about current drafts is that there's really no excuse for not getting the tight end. Because anybody who's in a top six pick they can take travis kelsey but if they don't they can also come back and take either waddle or kittle if you have a back six pick then you can take mark andrews if you don't want him then in most cases you can take kyle pitts in the second round now i would foresee some drafts i think it's actually very legitimate for andrews and pitts to also go in the first round and so there might be some situations there where drafters feel pretty pressured because if you want to take you know a Tyree kill of Devonte Adams and then in the second round already those guys are coming back to you maybe you feel some stress but then again TJ Hawkinson is going to come back to you so we really managed to pull off this amazing threading the needle where we thought that either Waller or Kittle would come back and then Hawkinson gets one pick away from us in the fourth round I don't think Hawkinson is going to go that late most of the time I think that he's somebody who is going to be a little bit of a riser in the tight end tiers article, I talked about him and how when you look at his routes profile and targets for route, that kind of thing, and I have a really cool show with Ben kind of discussing that on stealing bananas, but I mean, he belongs in that top group and there's a big drop down to this next group of tight ends. I think if you miss or you choose not to select one of the big six, then you should wait a long time. Now, we see Dallas Goddard go pretty early. He's somebody who has the efficiency numbers to potentially be up there. If the Philadelphia Eagles sort of went in the same path that the Ravens went on, then I think it's justified. But it probably is a little bit unrealistic when you think in terms of what are the skills that Lamar Jackson brings to the table. And you can say, well, Lamar Jackson was hurt, and the backups and multiple backups – Still went for this pass-heavy, deep pass-heavy attack with the Ravens. It was fairly successful for them, at least in terms of moving the ball. Obviously, once they lost Lamar Jackson, they didn't win a lot of games. But his ability to throw deep, his accuracy, his ability to stretch the field and put a lot of pressure on the defense, open things up, You know, mesh that with his running, that's just much more dynamic, both as a runner and a passer, than where Hertz is right now for some of these Eagles to be good values. And and we like Devontae Smith. I think that he's somebody who is an interesting pick. Although again, I mean, his price is prohibitive in some ways when you consider what he would need to do to meet that or not necessarily to meet that, but to have it be a situation where you have his price and then there are a lot of scenarios where he beats the price, right? I mean, one of the problems that we're having with a lot of these wide receivers is that they're going to have to really go some just to hit the price but you want to be drafting players where based at least on your own analysis, and you're not going to agree with everybody, but based on your own analysis that most of the outcomes are above that. And so that's one of the things that we're not seeing with those guys. It's also one of the things that we're not seeing with the, the rest of these tight ends, you know, is there a potential, and there's been a lot of talk in the last couple of weeks that maybe Dawson Knox is a much bigger part of the offense next year because he had a good season. And that's one of the things that, you know, again, that we do talk about, you know, some of these players will have the big touchdown seasons And then the main rhetoric within the fantasy community is, okay, that's unsustainable. He's going to drop back down. Look at his profile without the touchdowns. And you forget, okay, well, if this player was a very dynamic part of the offense and they demonstrated it in a variety of ways, but one of those is a big red zone weapon, then the team is going to sit back and look at it and say, look, we need to get this guy involved all over the field. And then that's when you see the jump. And you do see it from some of these tight ends who were not early round picks. And maybe you're not the same talent level and don't have quite the same ceiling as a Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews, those kinds of guys, but they will elevate into sort of this second tier area and maybe have seasons where you're looking at 16, 17 fantasy points per game in tight end premium, which would be somebody who would be very playable, who would be worth picks in this kind of area. But again, it's this matter of how many of the outcomes are actually above the price that you're paying. And so from that perspective, it it does get tricky because the other part there with the bills is that you would definitely expect Stefan Diggs to take a little bit of a step back in terms of efficiency, which is going to score some of those touchdowns himself. You're going to expect Gabriel Davis to take that step in terms of not necessarily efficiency because he's going like gangbusters there, but to just be much bigger part of the offense from a volume perspective. When you're looking at the two players and you're saying, okay, Well, if the volume jump is going to come, you know, it probably makes more sense to bet on Gabriel Davis than Dawson Knox. Now, this particular team drafted both of them, and that's kind of a fun pick, especially with Josh Allen. And we talk about how, especially as it comes to getting you to the fantasy playoffs and getting you to those deep rounds, the stacking, especially if it's expensive stacking. And I would say that Allen in round three, Knox in round five and Davis in round six. I mean, that's an expensive stack, right? So that part of it probably is actually losing you value, but it's also an interesting way to go about it. And one of the things that I like here is that this drafter very much has that as his thesis. And one of the things that we like to see is you at least want your draft to be internally consistent to where if you're right, you win. And uh, that's really one of the big takeaways that we always have is don't draft a team where if you're right, you still lose. And so that part of it, I think, is interesting.
1: Yeah, I think overall it's a, an interesting run through the five rounds. You did touch on Devontae Smith. He did go with the last pick of the fifth round, Michael Pittman, the spot before, and Aman Ra sent Brown the spot before that. But that's going to wrap us up for today's edition of the show and um, we are obviously posting these shows up on youtube as well there's different content going up there was a, a great show obviously stealing bananas uh, last week with uh, ben gretch sean siegel and peter Overzet. that went up on the podcast feed a couple of days later usually the the actual clips and the videos are a couple of days later so make sure you're subscribed to the audio version as well but um, head on over click the subscribe button on the His YouTube channel as we continue to grow that out we may do some live streams some draft live streams and things like that over the coming weeks and months so make sure you are subscribed over there I mentioned that show with Peter Overset, phenomenal stuff with Sean and Ben they'll also have more stuff coming for you this week but of course head back check that one out that was one of my all-time favorite episodes and the intro to the show uh, with Ben saying that Peter Overset rules the world uh, I really did enjoy that as always you can get yourself a listeners only 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass all you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2022 at checkout or go to rotovis.com forward slash podcast for further information Check out the shows as well, the Best Ball series that will be going up on the Road of His Overtime podcast feed of this full draft. Make sure you check it out. Lots of uh, fun talk during we've done that live, as I mentioned, at 2 a.m. my time. Drafted across three time zones with uh, the two guys in the U.S. On, on different coasts as well. But that is going to wrap us up for today's edition of the show. My name is Colin Kelly. Follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. My co-host is Sean Siegel. Check out all of Sean's work up on roadofus.com. And until we're back with another show, have a good one.